Welcome back to the Colorado Switchblade podcast, where we dissect the intersections of violence, politics, and society, and occasionally delve into the, the realms of geek culture, supernatural, speculative fiction, science fiction. Eh, we kind of cover it all. In today's episode, we're venturing into the intricate and often hidden dynamics of mind control and the psychology of cults, a topic that has in recent years transcended the boundaries of obscure groups and entered the mainstream political arena. It's a subject that's both fascinating and terrifying in its implications for democracy, personal freedom, and social cohesion. To guide us through this maze, we have with us Dr. Stephen Hassan, a preeminent expert on cults and mind control. Dr. Hassan is not just a scholar, he's a former cult member who has turned his harrowing experience into a lifelong mission to help others escape and recover from undue influence. He's the author of several groundbreaking books, including The Cult of Trump, where he draws alarming parallels between cultic manipulation and the political phenomenon surrounding the former president. Our conversation today will not only shed light on the mechanisms of control and manipulation at play in our society, but also offer hope and strategies for those seeking to break free from or prevent the spread of destructive influence. This is an episode about understanding the depths of human psychology, the power of social influence, and resilience of the human spirit in the face of manipulation. Before we jump into the interview, I need to pay some bills. We're going to play an audio commercial of my very first supernatural thriller novel I wrote titled Colorado's Chance, The Firewalker. If you haven't checked it out, you can get it at, I don't know, several of the regional libraries. It's certainly the one here in Estes. But you can also just buy it from Amazon. There's a link at the bottom of the page. Just look for the cover of the book. Click on that, and it'll bring you right to the Amazon page where you can download a um, Kindle version, paperback, or hardcover. So please help support this podcast and all the work I'm doing by purchasing one of my books. That's really one of the most readily available ways you can do it, and you get a great story out of it. All right, folks, here's the commercial now for my first supernatural thriller novel, Colorado's Chance, The Firewalker. Have you ever visited the breathtaking landscapes of Estes Park, Colorado, and wished your adventure didn't have to end? Now you can continue the journey with Colorado's Chance, The Firewalker. A thrilling supernatural adventure set right in Estes Park, Rocky Mountain National Park, and Aspen. Follow the story of Chance Van Horn, a seasoned journalist as he delves into mysterious occurrences at the Summit Hotel, navigating through a labyrinth of danger, enigmatic symbols, and dark secrets. And join summer and winter his adventurous nieces as they uncover hidden realms and mystical libraries all set against the stunning backdrop of Colorado's Rockies. Whether you've visited Estes Park, call it home, or have yet to experience its wonders, this novel brings the magic of the mountains to life, weaving a tale of suspense, mystery, and unbreakable bonds of family. So are you ready to dive back into the beauty of Colorado 
and embark on an unforgettable supernatural adventure? Grab your copy of Colorado's Chance, The Firewalker, today. Available on Amazon.com. Don't miss out on this journey of mystery, resilience, and the magic of the supernatural. Crafted by Estes Park's own Jason Van Tatenhove. All right. Just a couple more things before we jump into the interview today. Had some great interviews um, where I'm being interviewed because so often it's the case that I'm the one being interviewed these days um, that came out in the last couple of weeks. And I'm going to post the links to one's a video interview um, on the uh, actually two of them were on the Midas Touch Network. One was with actually Dr. Uh, Stephen Hassan, who has his own podcast. And we get into that at the end of the show. He'll tell you all about it and, and how to find it. Um, I don't know if that one's out yet, so I may not have the link for that. But I also had a, a fantastic interview with Jessica Denson, who has the uh, the Lights On podcast, I believe is what it's called, with the uh, Midas Touch Network as well. I also, for those of you that are locals here, had a great interview with uh, KUNC's Aaron O'Toole for In the NoCo. It's like a, a, a regional mini podcast that they put out a couple times a week and I was featured in last week's and it was such a great interview. Um, we actually recorded close to an hour's worth of content for a nine minute spot. So I think uh, she was telling me that they're going to be um, releasing some of the rest of the interview in little little segments uh, as we move along. So, But it was a great interview, great conversation um, and it was kind of cool because I grew up listening to KUNC uh, it was part of the soundtrack of my childhood. My mother was always had it on in the background and um, now to be on it and, um, and uh, you know, make my kids listen to my interview on it. So if you haven't checked that out yet, I will put a link up to the KUNC interview in the show notes as well. So check that out. And so now without further ado, let's dive right into the compelling conversation with Dr. Stephen Hassan, who's literally one of the leading experts on cults and, and cult behaviors, um, written several groundbreaking books and uh, was a great conversation. So here we go. Let's jump right in. Today on the Colorado Switchblade podcast, we're joined by Dr. Stephen Hassan, a renowned expert in the field of cults and mind control with a distinguished career that has spanned over four decades. Dr. Hassan has dedicated himself to helping individuals recover from coercive control and cultic influence. After his own experience of being a former member of the Unification Church, commonly known as the Moonies, he has become a vocal advocate for freedom of mind and psychological freedom. Dr. Hassan holds a PhD from Fielding University along with an MA and Masters of Education degrees and is a licensed mental health counselor and a nationally certified counselor. He's the author of several groundbreaking books, including Combating Cult Mind Control and Freedom of Mind, Helping Loved Ones Leave Controlling People, Cults, and Beliefs. His latest work, The Cult of Trump, draws parallels between the former president and cult leaders, analyzing the mind control techniques used to foster a fanatical devotion among supporters. As the director of the Freedom of Mind Resource Center, 
Dr. Hassan's work not only spans counseling and therapy, but also extends to educating the public on the dangers of cultic influence and the importance of critical thinking. I'm honored to have him on with us to share his insights into the dynamics of influence and control in today's political and societal landscape. Dr. Hassan, thanks so much for coming on the Colorado Switchblade with me. And before we get into the, the interview, um, you also have a podcast that I was just a guest on. Tell my listeners a little bit about your podcast. Yeah, sure. So thank you, Jason. And uh, it's called The Influence Continuum. And what I have developed over the decades is um, a framework for people to be able to discern what's ethical, healthy influence from unethical, authoritarian influence. And uh, on my website, freedomofmind.com, you can get it, you know, the graphics for free. And I've created a scientifically valid construct. And that was what I did my doctoral dissertation research on is called the bite model. It looks at anyone who controls your behavior, your information, your thoughts, and your feelings or your emotions. That's the B-I-T-E to make you dependent and obedient on them or their ideology, I say is an authoritarian destructive cult. And so uh, I decided to call my, my podcast The Influence Continuum because I didn't wanna just talk about undue influence and destructive cults, but I wanted to talk about healthy influence as well, like how to take care of sleep, for example, or how to raise healthy babies. and. We have a number of other things like ethical hypnosis um, uh, that I try to cover. Although I confess, after two years of doing recordings, I'd say most things are on destructive mind control as opposed to healthy. But my goal is more positive stuff in the years ahead. Well, I, I know that we we come to the same subject matter from from two different uh, starting points, but we, we seem to have come to a lot of the same conclusions, at least me as a layperson. I mean, you're obviously a very educated professional in the field, but it seems to be that I've on, on my own came to a lot of the same conclusions that you come to in your work after decades of work in this field. Um, so I just, I know that we, we, we actually share a, a literary agent. So I'm, I'm so glad we were able to connect <laughs> because I really feel that the, the cult aspect of what we're seeing in American politics right now is just something that is is largely overlooked. I mean, it's, it's getting more and more attention, but it, I think it's so vitally important to understanding where we are as a country and, and where we may be going. So um, I, I just appreciate your work so much in that, you know, we've been able to connect and, and speak on these subjects because I, I do feel it's so important. So with that, can you share a little with our listeners a bit about your journey from being a member of the Moonies to becoming a leading expert on cults and mind control? Yeah, of course. Thank you. And I, I enjoyed reading your book and I want to thank you for um, being willing to share your direct experiences with Stuart Rhodes and the Oath Keepers. And obviously, um, I was very upset and concerned about the attack on our nation's capital and 
I've been follow. I've followed you and listened to your testimony and a lot of your interviews. So I was very happy uh, to to meet you. So for me, I grew up in New York in Flushing, Queens, actually 1.3 miles from Donald Trump, a uh, middle, middle class family. My dad had a hardware store. My mom was an eighth grade art teacher. I have two older sisters. And I was um, boringly normal in many ways. My parents didn't divorce. They, uh, they didn't, they weren't alcoholic. That wasn't, we didn't move a million times. I lived in the same place with community. And I was, uh, you know, I guess an extra honor student from early on. And so, and I loved writing poetry and reading books. I was pretty much a bookworm. Um, and I was at Queens College, uh, an upper junior, February of 1974, when my girlfriend abruptly dumped me and I was kind of blue and I was sitting in the cafeteria waiting for my next class and three attractive women started flirting with me, asked to sit at my table and told me they were students, which they were not, told me they weren't part of a religious group, which they were. But I, you know, trusted that they weren't lying. They were dressed like students, carrying books like students. And they befriended me, asked me a ton of questions, invited me over for a free dinner. And believe it or not, within a few weeks, I was uh, at a workshop thinking that maybe the Messiah was coming to save planet Earth. They didn't say who they thought the Messiah was. It turned out to be Sun Myung Moon, a Korean billionaire who's deceased now. His wife has taken over the main cult, but two of his sons uh, are here in the United States. And one of them has a gun cult called the rod of iron ministries.org. Um, and the other one owns a gun factory making AR 15s and car uh, arms, etc. And they have the patent for the Thompson submachine gun. They have two um, facilities, even in Tennessee and near Waco, Texas, training people for civil war. So a lot of people say, oh, the Moonies, you don't hear about them anymore. I, I hear about them all the time. Of course, my antenna are up for any news and I have Google alerts. But um, yeah, so very quickly, I uh, was sleep deprived. I was isolated. I believe I was hypnotized. My behavior was manipulated, my information, thoughts and emotions. And I was made to feel like God had chosen me to save the planet, uh, that, that I was going to be one of the messiahs of disciples to save America. They elevated me very quickly because I'm six feet tall. And I guess they thought I would be a good front person for this Korean cult. But within a few months, I was, uh, being told things like democracy was satanic, that we need to infiltrate the government and create a theocracy that um, uh, even to the point where Moon said, when we take power in America, we'll amend the constitution and make it a capital offense. If people have sex outside of their arranged marriages, the Moonies were famous for these mass weddings, the strangers 
course, everybody were, were true believers. So I got radicalized big time and I turned my back on my family, my friends. I dropped out of college. I was asked to throw out my poetry. And I'm telling you, Jason, I would have taken a gun and killed civilians if I was told this is what God wanted me to do or kill myself. Uh, in fact, Moon actually said to the American members, if North Korea invaded South Korea, he would send us Americans to the front line to be martyrs so America would get involved in a land war mm -hmm. uh, in Korea to defend South Korea. And I was like, yes, great. And anyway, so for me, uh, I just got as crazy and radicalized as anyone I've ever helped in 47 years. And in my story, uh, I was the unlikely deprogrammee because uh, I was so fanatical, but I fell asleep at the wheel of a van. I nearly died, broke my leg really badly. I know we, we both share bad ankle stories. Yeah. Broke it really bad, had a cast from my toes to my groin for six months, two surgeries. And But what it did for me in 1976 when it happened was I was away from the group and I was sleeping and eating in the hospital. And I reached out to my sister, Thea, who was the only person in my life uh, up until that point that didn't say I was brainwashed and I was in a cult. Uh, she always just said, I miss you. I don't understand. I want you in my life. And I called her and I said, I think I'm in the hospital. Oh, what happened? I fell asleep at the wheel. Oh, come visit. You have a nephew you haven't met yet. I want him to know his uncle Stevie. I'll never forget it. And that's how I was referred to as a child by my sister, Stevie. So when she used that term, it was like re-sparked my real identity. And I said to her, I'm, I, I'm a leader. I think I can get permission to visit you, but you have to promise not to tell the parents or Steph, my eldest sister, because they were satanic because they had voiced their opposition to the group. And she promised and I got there and uh, she did break her promise. And my father arrived on, you know, without, without notice, took my crutches, put it on the other side of the room and in walked a bunch of ex Moonies. And I was so angry and I was like, anyway, um, Long story short, I wanted to prove to my family I wasn't in a cult and I wasn't brainwashed. My father cried. He asked me, how would you feel if it was your son who disappeared, got into a, a controversial group? And he just convinced me if I just agreed for, for four days to listen to the ex-Moonies and I still wanted to go back, he and my mom could sleep at night knowing they did the responsible thing. And I was so convinced I wasn't in a cult and I was doing God's will that I agreed. So, but that was very important because if they had tried to force me to be deprogrammed, I would have fought the whole thing and it wouldn't have worked. Um, and I'm sure the group would have made me sue my parents and the ex-members and because they had done that previously to other people. But in the deprogramming, all it was, it was no force other than once I agreed, 
And uh, they taught me about Chinese communist brainwashing, the eight criteria of Robert J. Lifton. And we went through all eight criteria, and it was obvious the Moonies did all of them. And these are ex Moonies that I'm with, so right, I was, yeah. I, I couldn't I couldn't make things up. They were like, yeah, "I'll tell you this experience, that example, and this example, and this example." And one of the three um, people I had recruited into the Moonies, she was my spiritual daughter in air quotes. And I knew she was a nice person and a lovely person. So the bottom line was, uh, I just had a lot of dissonance. Well, I know we're God, Chinese communism, they're Satan, but we're doing the same brainwashing techniques, but still didn't turn on the lights in my brain until the last day when they handed me one of Moon's speeches to the to congressmen and senators that had been printed by the group, and I knew that document, they said, read this and tell us what you think, Steve. And in the in this booklet, it, Moon was saying how much he loved Americans and how surprised he was that Americans could ever believe that Reverend Moon, a Korean, could brainwash American youth. And for the first time in two and a half years, I thought, what a liar. Yeah. Because I had heard him over a hundred times say how pathetic Americans were, how Koreans were the master race. But everything leading up to that moment was like, wait a minute, if he lies, then he's not trustworthy. It means he can't be a representative of God on earth. Why am I listening to him? If he's a liar. And at that point, I just started crying and I cried for hours. It hurt my head. I was crying so hard because I had invested every molecule of my being into believing this was going to save the world and save all my ancestors on 10 generations on my mother's and father's side. So when, when that realization was that I had thrown out my poetry, I had recruited people into a right-wing fascist group, turned my back on my religion, my family, and on America, I was like, you know, I, I, I was, I, it felt like I, I had fallen off a skyscraper because when you're in a cult like this, you think you're the elite of the elites. Yeah. Like we are so special. And like, I was like falling, but I, I didn't hit ground, but I was like, knew that I was falling and uh, it was so painful and I had to suck it up and, and admit that I had been conned, that my mind had been hacked. And, and so that began my journey of trying to understand how they do this to me. Like I became really fascinated. It was part of my own therapy to start right. reading about brainwashing and persuasion and attitude change. And I literally called up Robert J. Lifton, whose book was used in my deprogramming. It was, the book was called Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism. It came out in 61 about his interviews with people who had gotten, came out of Mao's thought reform programs. And um, I, I called him up, he was at Yale. And I said, your book saved my life. He said, which book? And I said, thought reform, because he had written a bunch. Right. And I said, he said, 
how did it save your life? I said, because I got in this group at college. I dropped out of college and they they have these free lectures, a three-day workshop, a seven-day workshop, a 21-day workshop, a 40-day workshop, and a 120-day workshop. So he said, come and, come and explain it to me. So I, I met with him. And there I am with my cast from my toes to my groin and this Yale psychiatrist, and he's listening and he's asking me questions. And uh, he said to me, you know, I've just studied it secondhand, but you've lived it. They did it to you and you did it to other people. And what you're describing is so much more sophisticated than what I studied. You should study psychology and explain it to people like me. And as a depressed, you know, college dropout ex-Mooney to hear this from a Yale, famous Yale psychiatrist, I was like, I can do that. Yeah. And I and just what an began amazing this journey. Part. Well, I can't tell I, you how many, how many echoes um, your story has with, with my own journey, you know, and the, the feelings of guilt and just, you know, afterwards realizing, wow, I, I went through this. I brought my family through this. I, you yeah. know, and just, I know I wanted to just stick my head in the sand, but you know, the universe had other plans for me. So that, that yeah, it's, fun. it's great. But in knowing your story as a, as a reader of your book and listener, I mean, you were looking for work you were looking for adventure and look, you know, interested as a creative person that you are something novel, but you, you could have a learning experience and it was incremental recruitment and disclosure and indoctrination. And you describe, you know, eventually you start dressing like them and talking like them. And, and, and what I want our listeners to know is that human beings are social beings uh, and we adapt to our environments. Like this is how the human species has survived and thrived for, for these tens of thousands of years is because our mind adapts to our environment. You're hanging out with extremists, you become an extremist, especially if you stop any information flow of critics and, and ex-members, which yeah. all mind control cults don't want you fake news or that person's a traitor don't listen to them and if you don't understand the perspective of what's healthy influence what's unhealthy influence i'm i'm a, an adult i get to choose you know and and that choice isn't a one-time thing to say yes to the initial meeting it's like you have to choose every day to say this is working for me yeah. And if it's not working for you or you realize that you're following a liar or someone who has different values than you, find a good exit ramp and know that you're not alone. There's millions of former cult members out there sharing their stories now. And you can see it in documentaries about all kinds of cults. The public is fascinated to learn more. And so we're destigmatizing the fact that, you know, intelligent, educated, creative people can be hacked. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's talk about um I think your your newest book is The Cult of Trump. Is that correct? That's my latest book, working on another one, hopefully. So with with your newest book, 
I think it's just so relevant to what we're, I mean, than just the, what, what the Supreme Court was hearing today, even. Um, mm. You know, tell us about the main thesis of, of the book, The Cult of Trump. Great. Thanks for asking. So my thesis, uh, there are a number of them. One is that Trump is a phenomenon that that um, people have been determinedly laying the foundation for for some 50 years. So he's the culmination of right wing dismantling of checks and balances in our government, infiltration, you know, buying people off or blackmailing people, etc. This is a long, a long process. I start by explaining Edward Bernays. Have you ever heard that name? It's funny Propaganda. you say that. I have his book, literally. Propaganda, 1928. I, yeah, I li he the book the literally here on my desk. Yeah, so he was the nephew of Freud, and he was the first person to connect the dots with psychology and business and psychology and politics. And, and his, in, in his work, he basically said, you don't sell people the object, you sell them on the need for the object. And, and this under, underlines the entire capitalism, you know, Madison Avenue um, uh, regime to make people feel like they're not good enough unless they are driving the right car using the right perfume or cologne, wearing the right clothes, etc. So I, I talk about the fact that psychology has evolved to becoming more and more sophisticated at figuring out how to get people to behave the way they want them to behave. So I set that foundation. I also talk about Trump's childhood. He had an authoritarian father. His mother wasn't there for him. She was ill. So what we see with cult leaders, Jason, is what, what Eric Fromm called malignant narcissism. And we think that that's the origin of this is the lack of secure attachment early in life, especially to mother, where a child feels loved and the center of the universe. Um, and so um, I outline the, the criteria of malignant narcissism, and I compare Trump with Jim Jones of People's Temple, yeah. Sun Myung Moon of My Cult, and Hubbard of Scientology. And the parallels are glaringly obvious. So that's another piece I want your listeners to understand, that there's a predatory profile and I have the list of criteria, not only in chapter three of the book, but on my website for anyone to look at, download, because that's who you want to avoid dating, marry, working for a CEO with these traits. Like you're not going to be happy being with somebody like this because they have no empathy. They think they're the bubble law, the pathological liars, the sadistic, manipulative, harassing, threatening the whole nine yards. But then I go into the power of positive thinking, which is magical thinking of Peel that he was raised in, where you believe it 100%. You do thought stopping to get rid of doubts. And so a lot of people are very perplexed at how, how so many bad things can happen to Trump, and he just fluffs it off. It's 
It's a cognitive behavioral technique called thought stopping. And he learned it as a child. He was also indoctrinated by his father that you're either a predator mm -hmm. or prey. You either eat, eat people or be eaten by people. Right. So this kind of encouragement, instead of being empathetic and kind and caring and have real love, it's all about me, 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 and getting, enhancing your own money, power, uh, getting as much sex as you can uh, notion. But what I want to share with your listeners is I realized there were actual authoritarian cults that comprise the cult of Trump. And the public media has missed this completely, it seems. They think just people are bewitched by Trump as an individual, and they don't understand. Like some 40 million Americans are in churches that have an apostle or a prophet that claims to speak directly to God, and they claim to speak in tongues and cast out demons and do faith healing. And it's these that people are in these BITE authoritarian cults, believing that if they don't follow their, their pastor blindly, Satan's going to invade them. Demons are going to invade them. So when their leader says Trump won the election in 2020 and Biden stole it, they're following their pastor. They're not following Trump necessarily, although a lot of the programming is that God is using Trump like a King Cyrus figure, and and he's and a messianic that too. Yeah, a messianic figure and painting the other as demons. You know, and and anyone opposed to Trump is a trafficker, a pedophile like all kinds of loaded terms. And that was one of the eight criteria of Lifton is loaded language where, or, you know, fake news, that's loaded language. Instead of saying you have to check your sources and, and reality test and not depend on one source of information ever. And that goes for everybody. Um, but the, 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 the idea here is that, um, there are forces supporting authoritarianism and dictatorship. And then there's the rest of us who want democracy, want human rights, freedom to speak and to worship the way we want to. We don't want to be told that we have to worship the way the, the these cults are telling us. Right. Like and, normal American values, at least what yes. I was raised with. And yeah. Yeah. And I, we, we, our strength is our immigrants that we come from such diverse backgrounds and the Christian nationalists and, and, and the speaker of the house is now doing prayers, uh, you know, in front of, you know, in, at the beginning of congressional sessions, like this is not what the founders had in mind when they wanted a separation of church and state because they knew it could be abused. And we didn't want to have a king like we got away from the UK and their king, right? But well, but, make, but so often is a case that the, the, the truth of it doesn't matter. And I, I find it amazing that you you're referencing Edward Bernays's book in your in your newest book, because literally, and you've probably seen this in some of my interviews. I mean, every time I'm asked about misinformation and the propaganda I used to help create, I would pull out that book. 
and say, mm. this is the formula right here. This is, this is, this explains what I was doing. Yeah. And Goebbels tried to hire Bernays in real time. And he, and Bernays said, no, he was Jewish, I would add, but, um, uh, he stay, Goebbels still stole everything of the methodology uh, and uh, repeat the big lie over and over again. The bigger the lie, more people will believe it. Why? Because the average person can't imagine anyone would make up such a huge whopper. But if you understand the cult leader playbook, of that's the that's the best thing to do is make a whopper and be very certain in your tone and talking about it. Well, we're we're certainly seeing that in action on a daily basis on our our news feeds now. So yeah. could could you explain some of the social psychology methods and mind control techniques that you believe Trump is using to build his fanatical devotion among supporters? Great, great question. So yes, um, let me just cite three famous social psychology studies that I use and, and teach my clients and the public that are critical to understanding the human mind. Quickly, the first is the Ash Conformity Study. Solomon Ash created a visual perception experiment where people were shown a placard with a sample size line and three lines of different lengths. And he would go around the room asking everybody which of the sample lines was the same length as the sample line. But everybody was in on the experiment except one person, typically in seat six. And the, the, the experiment really was how many people will start saying the wrong answer because everyone else is confidently saying the wrong answer? And the magic number, because this has been replicated over decades, is about two-thirds start giving the wrong answer, even though they can see with their own eyes what the right answer is. And uh, there's a number, a third of what we call heroic resistors who would stick to what the truth is, but their face would grimace when they did it because everybody, they felt like they were crazy because they weren't saying what everyone else was saying. There's a few people who would like enthusiastically say, of course, three is the right number when it was two. And they actually seem to believe, convince themselves that it's the right answer. So that's one thing, that human beings were influenceable by the people that we are using as a reference point for reality. So that's lesson one. Lesson two is Milgram obedience experiment. <clears throat> Excuse me, Mil Milgram was a child of a Holocaust survivor social psychologist at Yale. And he created a phony shock machine and created a phony learning memory experiment. But the bottom line was he, he created the, this, this box with lots of switches and noises and a tape recorder. And the person was convinced that he was teaching word pairs to the learner in the other room. Only there was no shocks 
it was all recorded and people were told they had to keep flipping a switch of 15 volt more with every wrong answer long story short and there's a very good movie called the experimenter if anyone wants to, to see a great movie on milgram's life he was amazing in any case two-thirds basically electrocute a fellow human being because the experimenter is wearing a white robe and saying you committed to this experiment you must finish it to the end even though people are hearing a tape saying oh my heart's bothering me my I'm in a lot of pain. I want to stop. And it's like, no, you promised you must continue. People follow what who they perceive to be a legitimate authority figure, which is another lesson for the public. You don't want to follow someone blindly. Follow your conscience. Put yourself in the shoes of the other person and say, if I was having heart trouble and I was in pain, would I want someone to to stop or continue to give me shocks. And if you come up with that equation, you stop. The third experiment was the Zimbardo prison study. And he was a Stanford psychology professor who made a mock prison in the basement of the psychology department, wow. randomly divided prisoners and guards. <clears throat> this is another movie based on the real yeah. thing called the Zimbardo prison study. Uh, highly recommend it but people the guards and the prisoners got into their roles and they like forgot they were just students who had volunteered for a couple of weeks for some money every day and it went and, off i mean it and some of yeah right? some of the some of the students had nervous breakdowns some of the guards got sadistic and um again it's it's teaching us that we need to be able to be in control of our own minds and bodies, no matter whether there's a group, whether there's a leader, uh, whether there's a system that's been put in place. We have to ask ourselves the question, are, is this what we want to do? Or are we just going along? And it's a critical question. To continue to answer your question, Trump was clearly knows something called neurolinguistic programming or NLP. I I saw him using it uh, during the GOP debates before he was even elected to be president, and um, people can get entranced by his speech patterns and his tonality. So that's another technique that I invite people to come to my website. I've done some videos and explain the difference between ethical clinical hypnotherapy and unethical hypnosis. Um, projection is another technique. You, you're doing the coup, you blame the other on the coup. You know, demonize the other. Uh, repetition, uh, projection. Um, so the, 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 I, I, I like to cite Robert Cialdini's book, Influence. Uh, as a social psychologist, colleague, and friend of mine, um, he, he has a very famous book called Influence, where it cites six principles of influence, such as, for example, the law of reciprocity. Have you ever heard that one? It sounds familiar, but I, I can't say that I actually have. So the law of reciprocity is better. I'll give you an illustration. You get invited to a free ski weekend, all expenses paid, 
And all you need to do is give one hour of your time to hear about a wonderful opportunity for timeshare. The Aspen timeshare nightmare. Yeah, Aspen timeshare, for example. And people are like, let's do it. We'll have a lot of good time. We'll do an hour and we're not going to buy anything. But what they don't understand is if somebody gives you something, unconsciously, you have the desire to reciprocate. And the more people give, you know, this was expensive food and the housing and the ski lift passes and all of that. Then the the influencer is like, my wife's uh, suffering from cancer. My two kids need need uh, uh, help in, in the, they have disabilities and on and on and on. And a percentage of people buy timeshares when they said, I'm not buying a timeshare. I just want the free weekend. But this is I'll the law of great episode on just that. Yeah, perfect. So but but Cialdini says things like social proof. What does that mean? There's an influencer that says, buy this deodorant, you'll smell great and the women will love you and the guys or whoever is your preference. And and people will buy because the social proof, this you know, famous person wouldn't just say it. Of course they would if they're getting paid enough money or they have a piece of the action. And, the, and we saw that with cryptocurrency where people were were giving their name and people were losing all their money because it was not based on reality. In any case, the the, the critical thing I want to say about the time uh, that we're living in in 2024 is that people are on their phones and on their computers eight hours a day, 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day. And the human mind is now getting molded unconsciously by these platforms and this messaging. And the messaging has gone from surveys back when Bernays started to find out what people's interests to now there are 5,000 data points on every voting American and AI where they have profiles on each of us and they can make very good predictions of where nudges need to be made to get you to more to the left, more to the right, to, to get disenchanted and not want to vote at all, uh, or to buy this product or to buy that product. And we're like being surveilled. Um, a lot of people don't like turn off all of their marketing preferences on all their browsers you you could see it just by next time you have facebook open talk about some product you've never bought before with a friend in the room and see how quickly an ad pops up into your news feed i mean that that's one that people see all the time so this yeah so I, i if i may jason just interrupt and say that what i learned is that if you have a smartphone and you have the microphone enabled they're listening to your conversations so you are talking about oh i have a cold i have a cough you're gonna get an ad for whatever product is paying them. And you think that, wow, this is amazing, but they're listening to us. So turn off your microphones. So this ties pretty directly into the next question I was going to ask you. You've kind of already answered it, but 
it, it has to do with the role of media and, and information. How do you think cable news, social media, and, and all of the above has, has really exacerbated the cult-like following of Trump? Unfortunately, um, with the age of digital advertising, a lot of very reputable um, journalists and, and enterprises are laying off reporters. We have a centralization. I think there are five major corporate media enterprises. And, and there's not enough encouragement for independent journalism. And um, I can just state categorically that even though the, the term cult of Trump is used all the time, I'm kind of questioning how come they don't want to have me on TV or how come they don't want me on the main mainstream media to explain brainwashing and mind control to people. And I have to come back to who are the corporate sponsors? Are they pushing fossil fuels? Well, I'm very vocal against fossil fuels and the Coke industry, second largest corporate corporation in the United States, Saudi Arabia, Putin, all these oil-rich uh, countries, they don't. They want to keep people numb or distracted from the fact that they're putting their profits over the planet's survival, and and so that's an issue. And as a journalist, and, you know, you try to follow the money, and you're right. working for a major journalist outlet that's owned by all of you know these six major corporations and families. Well, that that becomes a very big conflict of interest so yeah i absolutely agree with you exactly so the bottom line is the internet is still fairly open it's not like china or russia where you have to you know get vpn workarounds to get any information from outside of your your country but we have to exercise much more discrimination and who we're relying on for facts. And I really am a big advocate of reading different versions of the same news story and, and looking at who's writing it. And often I, the, the uh, editor puts one line at the top of the article, and then you read the article, and that's not what it says in the substance of the article. Like That's something people need to understand. Don't just read the headline, read the substance and what's the evidence on things. You know, I recently interviewed a very interesting guy named Ryan Macbeth, who did a, a video on how when, uh, when, when Al-Shifa Hospital was bombed in Gaza, the New York Times immediately said it was Israel. And Ryan said a 19-year-old in the military would would look at that what that bombing and go there are four possibilities israel did it intentionally israel did it by mistake hamas did it intentionally hamas did it by mistake and 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 look at the percentage of likelihoods like how many times did hamas rockets fail a lot how many times does israeli rockets fail a lot less and and he said, I did a research and there were almost no veterans in the New York Times. 
Like they, they don't have the, 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 the framework to analyze a military question like that, or even to consult with, with someone who understands things like that. But they put out incorrect information for two days until it was like, whoops, nope, it was actually a Hamas rocket that, that misfired. But the damage was done initially, right? Yeah. So you make a distinction between constructive and destructive influences in society. Can you give an example of what constitutes a destructive influence? And how do we as a society combat these influences? So um, as someone who's a mental health professional, we, we, we know about developmental psychology, for example. We have models of healthy parenting and unhealthy parenting. For example, healthy parents are authoritative and developmentally appropriate and shift their parenting style as the child reaches adulthood. The authoritarian parent often will use corporal punishment and wants to enforce dependence and obedience on them or whatever group they're into, right? So we can start to suss out um, healthy parent wants to empower the child to, to think for themselves and become an adult. Unhealthy parents want them to be always acting like a child and doing what mommy and daddy tell them to do. Um, and then on larger, uh, larger societal forces, um, I really believe that science matters. Facts matter. Evidence matters. And if 98% of climate scientists say there's global warming, and there's a few people hired by the oil industry saying we're not sure. That's a preponderance of evidence. And then when we start seeing thousand year events happening every week somewhere in the world, at that point we go, there's global warming due to human beings. It's an emergency. We need to change direction dramatically. And uh, and then that's what's healthy, life-sustaining, uh, even though it may be inconvenient to uh, switch to alternative renewable energy sources. The sun is just beaming. <laughs> it doesn't charge us. But if you have a corporation selling oil, you don't want people to use the sun. They want you. They want. They want you to buy their product, right? This is so, a subject I write about in my my science fiction stuff, and I, it, they're just going to go until they destroy everything. I mean, they, they, it's like an addict. I don't know. It's just that confounds. Well, they they, in my opinion, are libertarian cults where they think you know selfishness is good, altruism is evil. I'm quoting Ayn, Ayn Rand. And a lot of famous people bought into the Fountainhead and and Atlas Shrugged, etc. It's it's counter to everything we know, or or the selfish gene. No, human beings have thrived because we cooperate with each other, because we're storytelling, and and we can say, watch out for the bear around the bend over 
<laughs> make noise and like let the bear move out of the way. No, it's not about selfishness and such. And these people seem to be needing deprogramming. You know, they're needing to be like, wait a minute, you're killing our own environment. It's like you're in a boat and you're drilling holes in the bottom of the boat. You're going to sink. Yeah, and it's destroying the future of, of our youth, of our children. Right. So you mentioned the need for a bad object, and you kind of talked about this, touched on it already. Um, but you mentioned a need for a bad object in power structures and how Trump magnifies his power by declaring opponents as bad. How does this dynamic affect the political discourse in America? Yeah, so if you're trying to do uh, mind control, you want to demonize the other who you perceive to be the enemy. And I'm going to quote uh, Eric Hoffer in a 1954 book called The True Believer. Uh, I, I think he, he really had uh, it correct. He said the mass, the power of a mass movement can be determined by the tangibility and vividness of its devil. So the more you can program people to fear whatever, Hillary Clinton or Biden, superimposing devilish imagery, whether it's subliminal or overt, over and over and over again, when, when, you, when you make people vermin or you make people rats or other things, it enables you to look at them as objects instead of human beings. And, and, and that is exactly what Hitler did with the Jews. And, and we're seeing this again, convincing good people who have morals and values to believe that if they don't follow Trump and do the GOP version of things, that Satan and demons are going to, you know, rule. And, and, and it's just bogus. So let, let, let's move on to... <laughs> brighter topics um specifically solutions and healing so what steps do you believe individuals and society as a whole can take to heal from the the divisiveness and cult-like dynamics currently present in american politics because i think that's well that's critically important for us yeah so i i've been doing what i can my podcast and and i do a video version as well as an audio version we have a blog on my website and people can 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 learn just understand human beings are susceptible to influence if you think you're immune like wake up and realize you're breathing the same air and yeah. your ears and eyes are taking in information so realize you have vulnerabilities too there's another thing i want to share from social psychology jason and it's it's a term called the fundamental attribution error and what it's what it means is that when humans try to understand other people's behavior there's an unconscious bias to overestimate dispositional variables or personality variables and underestimate social influence variables so in other words when people hear steve was in the moonies most people on automatic pilot go 
He was stupid. Steve was stupid. He was gullible. He was weak. He needed a daddy figure. You know, he whatever. He so well. Instead of, you know, Steve's girlfriend dumped him and women flirted and honey potted him. And he, you know, they stroked his ego and he didn't know what he didn't know. And he believed no one could brainwash him. And it happened to him. So that's another piece of it. But I also want to say that everybody, it seems, knows somebody who's become a MAGA believer or a, a COVID denier or a climate change denier, etc. And many people kind of tried to persuade their family or friends uh, with facts, which just made them double down. And, 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 and many people just blocked or muted or stopped talking to their family or friends about the subject. And I've been saying since I left the Moonies, like people stopped talking to me in the Moonies from my family because nobody told them, like I'm telling your listeners now, the more interaction a cult member has with normal people who care about them, who ask sincere, curious, respectful questions and wait for an answer, the more somebody has those types of people in their life, the faster they're going to exit. But if you just block them, you're throwing your friend or loved one into the uh, under the bus of the right wing extremists. So but it's not easy to talk to someone who's in a mind control cult. So listening to former MAGA people, and there's a bunch I've interviewed now, Pam Hemphill, who was arrested on January 6th and served two months. I interviewed Rich Logis, who is a major propagandist for, for, uh, for Trump, who now has an effort, he is starting a nonprofit. Alva Johnson I interviewed, who was part of the Trump campaign. Listen to the former members and ask them, how would you recommend we respond if our loved one says this or this or this? And I'm actually hoping to have the funding and do a program that we can record to kind of train everybody on like what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. And, and not everyone's going to have the desire and the time and the uh, energy to do this. But I think we could help millions of people to get out of this bubble that they're in. Well, let me know if I can help. I, I'll certainly throw my hat in there. Yes, please help. We and and you are a survivor and you're a thriver. And that's that's why I was so uh, eager to meet you and read your book because you did the right thing. You spoke out and said, "This is how it is, and this is what was going on inside." And 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 uh, and and the more people are messaging. It, it's okay. You may have made some bad choices and believed the wrong people and went into a rabbit hole, but there's life outside of the rabbit hole. Like come back yeah. to the rest of us, right? What, what we really excel at as human beings is really screwing up. We're exceptionally good at it. So <laughs> we've got to just, it's okay. We, we could do that and learn from it. It's part of the life process. So you know exactly the key is wanting to learn by your mistake and not just you know doing the same old same old that doesn't work 
right? Yeah. So I think we kind of hit pretty much my last questions. Just before the end of this, to wrap it up, what advice would you give the listeners on how to recognize and resist undue influence in their lives and while wider society, you know, before they kind of get sucked in, but they're, they're beginning to feel that pull. Yeah. Take a time out and ask people you trust, Hey, I'm starting to believe this, or I'm spending a lot of time on that platform. They're saying this and this and this. I, I'm an advocate of a, a concept of a trust pod where we each select people that we care about and we know care about us genuinely in our life. And you can, you know, have four or six people and you can rotate the role of contrarian or devil's advocate that looks for the information to upend whatever uh, a person is thinking about or if they're getting recruited into something. I say if something's legitimate, it will stand up to scrutiny. So avoid the hard press, avoid the fear of missing out. Uh, keep being a good consumer, ask questions and not don't just listen to the answer, watch the behaviors. Because cults are fantastic liars about things. And, and right now the Moonies are like, yeah, we... We used to do bad things, but we've changed. It's like, well, let's see how have you actually changed in writing and in policy, you know? And then they switch the, the topic or they make you feel like there's something wrong with you that you're asking a critical direct question. So thank you so much for taking time out of your day to, to come on to the Colorado Switchblade. I, I really appreciate it. And I, I super enjoyed our previous conversation on your podcast um if if my listeners want to to get more information want to dig into to your your writings and and what you're doing what what's the best places for them to do that where can they find more about your work uh thank you so um freedomofmind.com is my website uh i highly recommend reading combating cult mind control as the first text that originally came out in 1988 and it's helped hundreds of thousands of people exit destructive cults just by them reading the book um freedom of mind is my book um, a guide of how to help a family member, a friend, uh, reality test and get out. And then the cult of Trump. And I have uh, my Influence Continuum podcast and the blog and video version on my website and YouTube channel. And I have a free weekly uh, email that you can subscribe uh, to if you want to stay abreast of what I'm up to, which is trying to do as much as I can to save democracy and freedom. All right. Well, I appreciate your work and uh, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks, Jason. Be strong. All right, folks. That was our interview for this week's Colorado Switchblade podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Maybe got got something out of it anyway. Well, if you haven't been, if you're just a listener to the podcast and you don't necessarily go to the Substack, the uh, Colorado Switchblade, go to the website, get the newsletter, uh, you might check it out. I've got, I've been doing a lot of work with the systematic transparency issues 
and accountability issues, specifically with the town of Estes Park. Uh, some major news hit over, uh, it was last Friday, where um, the town administrator, Travis Mahulik, has admitted that town internal affair records with the police department have gone missing and most likely destroyed, especially in regards to some pretty seriously dramatic stuff that's happened here in town. And we've had ongoing issues where the town just is not being straight with us. So check out my uh, op-ed, Estes Park's Dance with the Shadow King. Um, it's right on the top of the Colorado Switchblade. If you're not a subscriber to the newsletter, I try to put out, you know, at least one or two articles a week, um, along with a podcast every week or so. Um, a lot of breaking news here in the Estes Park area. So if you just love Estes Park and Rocky Mountain National Park, it's a great way to, to keep up on what's happening here in our town. And then I also cover regional stories and, and the national stories sometimes, generally in the vein of, of national politics and the, the different types of work I do as a speaker and consultant. So um, I have a lot of, you know, a lot of connections that I, I try to you know interview and get stories for and, and whatnot so um check it out if you haven't already all right folks that's gonna do it for today thanks for sticking with us it was a longer interview and uh well we love that you're here all right stay classy colorado i'll talk with you again soon you've been listening to the colorado switchblade podcast as always i'm your host jason van tatenow Thanks for tuning in.